Would you open your Bibles to two passages of Scripture, please? Hebrews chapter 11 and Judges chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 11 and Judges chapter 6. In honor of our fathers, I want to give you this word. Almost any evening, about six o'clock, an adult male can be seen taking off his shoes, putting on his house slippers, picking up the evening paper, and reclining deep in the softest chair in the living room of any well-regulated home. No sooner is he seated comfortably when small creatures called children climb up on top of him, tumble in his lap, mess his hair, kiss and hug him, and run for mother when he lets out a great big yawl. He is not a monster, although sometimes he is accused of it when he loses his temper. He is not exactly a stranger in the house, although he mostly eats and sleeps there. He is not a boarder, although he thinks sometimes it would be cheaper on him. No, he is none of these. He is a father. Fathers come in assorted shapes, sizes, and ages but all have one common creed, to always provide to the best of his ability all the comforts of a good living for his wife and family, to always have a little extra change in his pocket for the children, bills of large denominations for his wife and family expenses, and a secret hidden compartment in his wallet for bills of small denomination for his own pleasure. Father's a necessary item in each home. They are handy for putting up storm windows, mending screens, mowing the yards, nailing a shelf, moving furniture, cleaning the basement, lifting heavy objects, wiping the dishes, and they are perfect for a soft touch when the child needs money. Children adore them. House to house salesmen hate them. Wives tolerate them. And heaven and the insurance companies protect them. At home, a father is usually quiet and unassuming and casual. He always answers to names like Daddy, Dad, Popsy, or the Mister of the House. He answers most questions with inaudible mumbles, daydreaming glances, or house-shaking billows, depending on the situation. Fathers are a paradox. They'll fight a man or beast to protect the family, Yet an upset stomach or a minor pain is reason enough to cause moaning and groaning, and then checking to see if his last will and testament is in order. He walks 10 miles on a golf course, but takes a car to mail a letter at the corner. He eats like a horse, but uses saccharin because he's on a diet. He hollers bloody murder when the bills come due, but always manages to come up with a nice gift at the appropriate time. He is an angel, a saint, a gallant gentleman, an uncouth creature, a wise businessman, and a sucker for a sob story. Fathers are people who snore the loudest, use the bathroom the longest, can't find socks to match, and holler when mom and the kids aren't ready to go when he is. Fathers should never be bothered when they are reading paper, when monthly bills come due the 15th of March or April, and Sunday mornings, 
Fathers like books, golf, open neck shirts, aftershave lotion, a soft bed, nice cars, hammocks, fellowship nights, and one woman. They're not much for company, neckties, perfumes, crowds, relatives, cufflinks, but they forget birthdays, anniversaries, grocery lists, and such. They remember business appointments, sporting datas, and taxes, but they never see the ring in the bathtub. Yes, fathers are strange customers. They holler and billow and complain. They never seem to do things the right way, and they never worry. They bundle the children off to Sunday school and then sleep through church. They are outwardly tough, but inwardly sentimental. They are the little boys of yesterday grown up, and we love them. God bless you, fathers. That is in your honor today. God bless you. May we pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for our fathers today. We ask You to guide and anoint and bless each one. Lift the burden and take care of the needs. Open the Word of God to us and reveal the spiritual truths of God's book. And someone in this place who has never been saved, draw them to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read from Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verse 32. <clears throat> Just one phrase from verse 32, and then in verse 33, and then in verse 13. And what shall I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon. And that's who I want to talk about this morning. Gideon. Look at verse 33, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. They were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. They had cruel trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn asunder, tested, slain with a sword, wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. And in verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from which they came out, they might have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Time would fail me to tell of Gideon. And that's who we want to talk about this morning in our tour through the Old Testament, men and women of character, men and women of faith. In Judges chapter 6, verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, that is, Gideon, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. I would like to say ten things concerning Gideon right at the beginning. 
Number one, he was the son of Joash of the tribe of Manasseh. Number two, Israel had forsaken God and was now being terrorized by the Midianite robbers who desolated the country and made life intolerable for the Jews. Number three, after the people repented and cried unto God, the Lord sent a prophet to rebuke the sins of the people. Number four, an angel summoned Gideon to leadership, the angel of the Lord. And if we study carefully the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, we learn that that angel of the Lord very possibly could have been the pre-incarnate Christ himself, the angel of the Lord. And he's the one that summoned Gideon to leadership. Number five, Gideon gave excuses why the Lord has forsaken Israel. And Lord, I'm not fit to lead your people. Number six, Gideon was the man who put the fleece out in prayer. Number seven, he destroyed the altars of paganism. Number eight, he defeated the Midianites. Number nine, he was offered a crown, but he refused it. Number 10, he judged Israel for 40 long years. Gideon was a man that God could use. And if I have time, I want to give you six things about Gideon this morning that we can apply to our own lives as characteristics that God can use, that make up a man that God can use. And of course, our focus today is on men because this is Father's Day. But these same characteristics hold true of ladies that God can use. The first characteristic we notice is Gideon's humility. Look at chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. We're in Judges chapter 6. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where are all the miracles which our fathers told of us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee. Now notice first of all that in his humility, Gideon wanted to understand what was happening. He didn't really understand what was going on. You see, Israel had been brought out of bondage in a miraculous way. The people of God were greatly moved as they remembered over and over how God had delivered them out of Egyptian bondage. And now they're in the land of Canaan, but they're once more being brought under bondage. The Midianites have invaded the land. And wherever they sowed their crops, the Midianites would come in and steal the crops or burn them or capture the people who were the farmers and take them off as prisoners. And Israel was in a terrible state of affairs 
And when God appeared, the angel of God appeared to Gideon and said, now, Gideon, you're a man of valor. I'm going to use you to conquer the Midianites. Gideon wanted to find out about some things first. And remember that God is not harsh with people who ask honest questions. God is not harsh with people who ask honest questions. And Gideon wanted to know. He didn't have some kind of a flighty faith that said, well, I know everything will be all right. He said, everything isn't all right. Everything's terrible. This whole world is crumbling in and we're getting under bondage again. Where are the miracles that they told us about when the people of God came out of Egypt? We don't understand. He was not accusing God and he was not mad at God, but he wanted to understand. And I think that's part of the whole scene of the spirit of humility. The person who says, I know it all. I understand everything. I know all the answers. I know why, why what's going on. I know all the things that are going on. I know all the answers. That person is not a humble person. He is showing his own egotism in the face of things he doesn't understand at all. And beloved, there are some things we can't understand. There are some things that we don't know the answers to. And wise is that man or woman who comes to grips with the things he doesn't understand and acknowledges that he doesn't understand it. Have the winds hit you like with tornado force and you've wondered which way to turn, you didn't know what to do? Now you could keep a smooth sail on the outside and say, well, I understand all this. I, you know, never, so on. But deep inside, you've got a Vesuvius going. That's the way Gideon was. And he had the spirit of humility to acknowledge it. Next, when God said, Gideon, I'm going to use you, then Gideon turned his thoughts inward and he said, Lord, who am I? Who am I? You use me. Well, I'm just a poor boy. And my family doesn't have anything. And I'm, over, I'm just like a coward, Lord. I'm over here, if you'll read carefully that scripture, he was over here secretly in a secret place doing his farm work so the Midianites wouldn't know where he was. And he handled, handled everything very quietly so the Midianites wouldn't hear it. And right in the middle of all that, God said, said Gideon, I'm going to use you. And Gideon said, Lord, you use me? Who am I? Who am I? I'm nothing. And I don't believe that Gideon was just putting forward an inferiority complex, covering up a superiority feeling. He was being honest before God. And men, we need to be honest with God. When God speaks to us and says, I need you, I want you, we need to come to grips with our nothingness and God's full supply of everything. Gideon was awed in the presence of God. Look in verse 22 and 23. And when Gideon perceived that this was the angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto you, fear not, thou shalt not die. Then Gideon built an altar. He was awed in the presence of God. My friend, God is more than just the man upstairs. 
God is more than just some kind of buddy-buddy. There's a song that says, My God and I walk through the fields together. We walk and talk and jest as good friends should and do. I don't like that. My God and I, it's God. And I'm just following Him. Now thank God that He made Himself known to me in Jesus. And I received Jesus as my Savior and He abides in my heart. But that did not lessen the awe I have in His presence and the fear of God in my life as I know He's everything and I'm nothing. And when Gideon, when it really dawned on Gideon that the angel of the Lord had appeared to him, Gideon said, I'm going to die. I've seen God. The pre-incarnate Christ. I've seen Him. And nobody sees God and lives. There was a deep spiritual humility in his life. Oh, friend, if you want to be used by God, there has to be that deep spiritual humility. Moses had it. Lord, nobody will believe me. Lord, who am I? Those are the questions Moses asked. Saul had it. God said, Saul, I want, you to, I want you to go lead my people. And though Saul stood head and shoulders above everybody else and was a handsome man, he said, Lord, who am I? And when they were ready to anoint him king, he was out in the field working in the stuff. They had to go fetch him. He didn't come up there and say, hey, here I am. Here I am. I'm going to be your king. He had a spirit of humility. David had it. He was a little shepherd boy over in the fields. And God took him from the sheep to be king. Do you have it? Do I have it? You remember when God wanted to call Isaiah and use him? The Bible tells us that it was the year that King Uzziah died and Isaiah had gone to the temple and he saw the glory of God and he saw the winged seraphs singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah bowed his head and he said, I am undone, I am unclean, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the Lord, I'm going to die. And alive coal from the altar touched his lips and he was cleansed and then he heard a voice who will I send who will go for us and I say said Lord here am I could you use me he didn't blatantly walk up and say well God I got everything you need I'm the man of the hour here I am he was clothed with humility and beloved that's the kind of person God will use, whether we're men or women, young people, teenagers, kids, whoever we are, a person clothed with humility, God's meekness. And that's the kind of man Gideon was. Secondly, Gideon was a man of convictions and action, beginning in verse 25. And it came to pass the same night, the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock 
even the bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the images that are by it, and build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place, and take the second bullock, and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the images which thou hast cut down. And Gideon did it. You know what's going on here? It was Jehovah worship was, was God's plan for Israel. But Baalism had crept in. Paganism, materialism, socialism, secularism, playism, all that had crept in. And his father, out in the back, had a grove, a high place, and an altar to Baal. And when God said, you go tear down that altar of Baal, tear down the altars of, of paganism, he got 10 men and in the night went out and did it. Now you'd almost have to know the story behind that to understand how tragic that was, how bad that was. Not in God's sight, but in man's sight. No young boy ever dared to tamper with his daddy's gods. No young boy ever dared to withstand his father's concerns and faith. But Gideon did because it was wrong. It was wrong. It was wrong. And ladies and gentlemen, when things are wrong, they're wrong. Make a difference who's doing it, they're wrong. And God said, Gideon, you get rid of those Baal altars, and he did it. The interesting thing is that Gideon's daddy, Joash, didn't like the altars to Baal either. But he didn't have the guts or the gumption or the fortitude or the conviction to do anything about it. And so he let him stay there year after year after year after year. And then Gideon, rising as a man of valor in the power of the Lord, went out and destroyed them. And the next morning, all the men of the city came and gathered around Joash's door and knocked on the door and pounded and said, send out your son. He tore our gods down last night. And Joash, who had not the power or the conviction to tear him down himself, came out there, delighted that his boy had some courage. And he said, if Baal is God, let Baal destroy my boy. Let Baal take vengeance. Why should we take vengeance? And it made sense to those men. You see the kind of faith they had in Baal? They thought Baal would knock Gideon in the teeth. But Baal didn't have any power to knock Gideon in the teeth. And as a result, there was a powerful revival that took place because Gideon had the convictions to stand the test. We need convictions. In these terrible times, we need more men who stand for the right. We need some women who stand for the right. In these terrible times, we need the Spirit to guide us. That's what Dr. Clyde Gordon said in a song. In these terrible times. And ladies and gentlemen, you and I are face to face with tragic, terrible times. And we need some men and women with some convictions. Oh. 
Hold your Bible in Judges 6 and flip over to Titus, the book of Titus, chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present age, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes into our lives, he teaches us that we should live godly lives. Godliness. Oh, my friend, salvation is a free gift. By faith, we receive Christ as our Savior and Lord. But after salvation, there's a big price to pay in living a godly life and growing up in the Lord and serving him and becoming what God wants us to be teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. Let's get a mirror and look into our lives. What do we see? Resentments, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, lust, all of these sins, are they there? What will we do with them? Let's put them on the altar. Let's tear them down. And let's give all there is of us to Jesus Christ. I want to appeal to you to live a godly, holy life. The psalmist said, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. How often we're caught up in the day-by-day -day world where we face all of the four-letter words. And we hear all of the jargon and all of the filth. And we're so close to it that we allow it to seep into our lives. Or we allow the level of resistance to lower so that after a while we can say some of the same things and it doesn't bother us. Tragedy of tragedies. God wants his people to hate sin. Hate it. Eschew it, Job did. He eschewed evil. You can almost hear him chewing it out. Getting mad about it. Or seizing it out. Getting rid of it, see. Now that's what we need to do with sin. Get rid of it out of our lives. He was a man of conviction. That was Gideon. He denied ungodliness. Thirdly, if you notice verses 33 to 40, he was a man of prayer. First, he was a man of humility. Secondly, he was a man of conviction. Thirdly, he was a man of prayer. Look in chapter 6, beginning with verse 33. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. He blew a trumpet and... Uh, and Abiezer was gathered after him, and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who was also gathered with him, and he sent messengers, and so on. Now, the rest of this story tells about God's commission for him to conquer the land and conquer the Midianites. And uh, Gideon said, now, Lord, I want to be sure. I want to be sure. Now, Lord, tonight I'm going to pull a fleece out. And in the morning... I want to ask you that there be water on the fleece, just dew on the fleece, and everything else be dry. Next morning, he went out there and 
he could squeeze the fleece out because it was wet and the ground was dry. Now he said, Lord, don't get mad at me, but just this one more time, Lord, I'm going to put the fleece out tonight. And, uh, and Lord, I want the fleece to be dry and all the ground to be wet. And it was so. He was a man of prayer. Beloved, pray about everything. When things go good, pray. When things go bad, pray. When you don't know which way to turn, pray. What a, what a joy to carry everything to God in prayer. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of obedience. Look in chapter 7. In chapter 7, we see that Gideon was a man of obedience and faith. Verse 2, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites unto thy hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Now therefore go proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand and ten thousand. Now I want to tell you this picture. There were 32,000 people in his army. God said, Gideon, that's too many. Now, Lord, what do you mean it's too many? We need a whole bunch of people. Yeah, but that's too many. I could never do it with that because you would brag and say, look at what we did. Uh, you go out there and tell them, anybody's afraid, go back home. 10,000 went home. Now, most generals would make that make their hearts sink. 10,000 people left. My, we, and, and, you know, that would have been enough for mutiny. Somebody come along and said, we got a bad general here. Everybody's leaving. Everybody's leaving. I don't know what to do. Everybody's going. And, and uh, God said, uh, Gideon, you still got too many. You still got too many. And he began to reduce the size. Finally, he said, now, Gideon, uh, you, you go down to the water to drink. And uh, you say to the people, uh, you get a drink of water. Now, Gideon, I'm not going to tell you. You don't tell the people this, but I want you to notice. Everybody that gets down and laps like a dog, you put them over here. And everybody that gets down there and takes water like that, you put them over here. That day they divided themselves, and the lappers like dogs were over there, and the ones that picked the water up in their hands so they could see what was going on all the time were over here. And you know how many he had left? 300 out of 32,000. And God said, uh, Gideon, I'm going to use that 300 to rout the Midianites. And Gideon was a man of faith enough to believe Zacharias 4, 6, not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. When God is ready to do something, he doesn't have to have a great big army to do it. He doesn't have to have a lot of influential people to do it. He doesn't have to have a whole lot of people with money to do it. He will do it if he can find a few, a handful, a master's minority who hate nothing but sin and who love God with all their hearts. And Gideon's little army of 300 did it. Men of faith. Men of obedience. 
Now that's what we need. We need men of faith and men of obedience. Do you know that in the early church, when they needed some helpers and leaders for the apostles, God said to the apostles, you tell the church this, wherefore, brethren, look out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, who are available to be appointed over this business. Four qualifications. Next Sunday, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be singling out some men who serve the Lord, not serve self, but serve the Lord and serve the church in places of extreme responsibility, not only to teach a Sunday school class, not only to be a training union worker, not only to be a bus driver or a bus pastor, not only to be somebody who handles God's finances, but somebody who will be an example to the rest of us. That's what that is. That's what that is. An example in soul winning. An example in faithfulness Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, visiting. An example in godly living. If gold rust, what then will iron do? God wants a master's minority who will put themselves on the line, who will be available, appointable to the work that Christ has called us to do. Gideon was a man of obedience and he listened to God. Fifthly, he was a man of vision. Back in Judges chapter 8, beginning in verse 22, Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule over us, both thou and thy son, and thy son's son also, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. He was a man of vision. He was looking for a city. He knew that this world was not his home. That the main thing in life was not to have crowns, to be called king, but to point others the way home. And the book of Hebrews chapter 11 said, time would fail me to tell you about Gideon. Listed among those who looked for a city whose founder and builder was God. That's the kind of man he was. That's the kind of man God can use, a man of humility, a man of conviction, a man of prayer, a man of obedience, a man of vision, who looks away from the earthly scenes and who's headed for a city on his way home. Now there's a last incident in the life of Gideon that I wish were not there. And I want to just mention it briefly because it is important for us all to face. You don't reach the safety zone until you get home. It's very possible for a man who has been something great to be a used to be and a has been and a was. In Judges chapter 8 verse 24, And Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you, that you would give me every man the earrings of his spoil, for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. 
And they answered, We will willingly give them. And they spread a garment and did cast into it every man the earrings of his spoil. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was a thousand and seven hundred shekels of gold beside ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was on the king of Midian, kings of Midian and beside the chains that were about the camel's necks. And Gideon made an ephod thereof and put it in his city, even in Ophrah. And all Israel went there playing the harlot with it which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. I feel like weeping when I read that. Gideon, the man of prayer, the man of obedience, the man of conviction. Listen, there are three times the devil really works on you. Just before a victory, when you're tired, and just after a victory. And the devil moved in on Gideon. Reign over us, Gideon. No, I'll not do it. The Lord will reign over you. And in just a few moments, we find Gideon say, but I'll tell you one thing. Here's what you could do. Bring an offering. Bring all your earrings. Bring all your ornaments. Put them in a heap. And he took them down to his hometown. And he made an altar there. God said the altar isn't to be in your hometown. There's one place. There's one place. There's a right way to do it, not a wrong way. There's a right way. And Gideon built that little altar there. And the Bible says that all the people of Israel went, went in there and played the harlot. Somehow it got their eyes off of the Lord. And Gideon would never have wanted to do that. He wouldn't want to do that. But in a moment, when he forgot to ask God about a matter, it happened. Now, beloved, there's a lesson here. All these things are given to us for examples. If we want to be the men of faith, if we want to be the kind of people God can use, we need to build into our lives these characteristics and then be constantly on guard lest the devil move in and defeat the power of your life. How can we be sure about it? The life that counts begins with Jesus. It continues with Jesus. It climaxes in Jesus. For the just shall live by faith. It begins in faith. It continues in faith. It climaxes in faith. It goes to heaven in faith. First of all, we must humble ourselves and invite Jesus to be Lord. Jesus who died on a cross, who shed his blood that we might be saved, and invite him to be our King, our Lord, our Savior. Invite Jesus in. And then secondly, confess that faith in Christ. Let others know where we stand. Take an open stand. You can say in your heart you're trusting Christ but a faith that does not produce open confession is a dead faith. That if thou shalt confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father which is in heaven. And thirdly, after we've confessed Christ, then dwell in him. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done to you. Live with him. Not just live for him, but live with him. 
There's a difference in living with him and living for him. Sometimes I can say, I'm gonna live for Jesus. I'm gonna live for Jesus. I'm gonna serve you. Do everything you want me to do. And that's good, but it's hard. But when you live with Jesus and he abides in you and he's your Lord, and you get up in the morning and say, Lord, what do you want me to do about this thing? Will you do this and this? All right. In the middle of the day, Lord, what do you want me to do about this thing? You do this and this and this. He, you're talking to him. Somebody might think you're talking to yourself, but see, you're talking to him. He's inside of you. And you get in the evening, Lord, what do you want me to do about this thing? You do this and this. All right, Lord, I'll do it because he's abiding in you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. And Gideon forgot that, but we won't forget it. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege and honor of meeting in the presence of Jesus today. We thank you that lives of great men remind us we can make our lives something that will count for God. And we pray that in the closing moment of this hour, you will crown this service with someone coming to confess Christ as Savior, taking a stand for the Lord, going on with God. In Jesus' name, amen. May we stand, please. Let's stand. And we're going to sing a hymn, God's Hymn of Invitation. May I request, please, that nobody move around, no one leave. Just for this closing moment, would you please focus your spiritual attention on the things of the Lord? God is issuing an invitation today, first of all, to those of you who need Jesus as your personal Savior. Maybe you have trusted Him in your heart, but you have not confessed Him openly. Won't you come today and confess Christ? If you do not know how to be saved, would you come and let us talk with you about that and reason with you from the Word of God about how to know Jesus, how to have the blood applied to your heart. There are some here whose membership is in another church and God wants you at Glendale. I want to appeal to you to come today. and Don't put that off. Come and cast your lot with us and help build a strong, soul-winning, Bible-believing church here in this city. Will you do that? There are others who have a sense of guilt in your heart. Somehow you're not gone on with God like you wanted you to and you'd like to come back and say, I want to start serving the Lord more dynamically. Be a man, a woman of faith that God can use. While we sing, will you come? Step out for Christ. Let's come quickly this morning.